0: Welcome, everybody, to Dicing with Design podcast, episode 17, uh, Lords of War Kickstarter interview. Hello. Uh, Hello. Uh, I'm Grant, and we have my usual colleague, uh, Cole. Mm -hmm. And joining us today, and thank you very much for that, is Mr. Martin
1: Vox. Thank you for having Uh, me, more like it. (laughs)
0: <laughs> okay, who is uh, one of the designers on on uh, Lords of War, the brand new, well, the, just about to come out with a new expansion on Kickstarter, if successful, and they're doing rather well, as we are just saying off air.
1: Oh, well, thank you for saying so. Yeah, it's been incredibly stressful. <laughs>
0: um, So, let's kick off, Um, just maybe tell us a bit about yourself, how you got into Gaming in the first place, let's start with.
1: Okay, gaming, we wind ourselves back through the chasm of time. Um, I used to live in the third world, mostly. My father worked in the sugar business, growing sugar cane, and a lot of the places that we lived in didn't have any electricity for quite long periods of the time. Um, So I was living out there with my family, and uh, board games and card games were the premium means of entertainment, really. So... My family were hardcore gamers in an age when there wasn't really hardcore games to play. <laughs>
0: cool.
1: uh, so that's kind of how I first... I didn't, expect I didn't expect sugar, sugar plantations, plantations to be part of the answer. Um, okay. Yeah, well, there you go. Um, no, sugar plantations, absolutely. So lived on sugar plantations on and off throughout my childhood, and then intermittently was in boarding school as well. So between boarding school, where, again, gaming was fundamental, and living overseas where there wasn't much else to do apart from Uh, play games, Um, and then video gaming in between. So I grew up with all these passions, always designing games in my head, um, and occasionally getting round to drawing them out on paper and coloring them in and making component parts throughout my time in school. And I don't know, it's always been something that I've been passionate about, really. Um, But it wasn't until I met my business partner, Nick, that I started to think, okay, let's actually do this for realsies.
2: So what were the first first games I'm wearing? Which were your uh, first
1: passions? Well, when I was young, um, I'd say that risk has been a consistent factor in my life. Um, Many of my relationships have fallen apart because of risk. Um, (laughs) I think romantic entanglements. My wife no longer will play risk with me. Um, I don't know whether it's because I'm not a gracious player, or maybe it's it's just because I... I take it very seriously, I have to be honest. Um, but yeah, so risk games with my family were at the start, and then a lot of card games. I mean, my parents are massive bridge players, and whist and Hearts and things like that, and that's what I was growing up. I mean, these are all classic games. They're not the games that I hang out playing now with my buddies, to be honest, but they're the games that we used to play an awful lot. Um, and then, yeah, I had my first video games console when I was four, uh, which was a Sega Master System And I loved that device so thoroughly. Was it the one that had Alex Alex built into it? Uh, It it didn't, actually. It had, I think, Super Hang-On and uh, Duck Hunt, or, like, I think it was called Safari Hunt. It was like the Sega ripoff of Duck Hunt. Um, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, so I had that. And a lot of, I don't know, I just used to spend hours and hours and hours on that thing. Um, And I think it walked my brain and made me the games designer I am today. <laughs> <laughs> I love the fact you mentioned all
2: those uh, kind of classic games. I think there's a lot of uh, people kind of forget about the non-fantasy, non-hardcore games and forget about playing stuff like Risk It's a brilliant game.
1: But yeah, you, you never really hear it mentioned. No, no. And I think Risk, you hear a lot about, uh, people talk about Settlers of Catan, for example, being a gateway game for people. You play Settlers of Catan and then you get into the hobby in a bigger way and it's a stepping stone where people suddenly start to think, yeah, I could play more different games. But actually, games like Risk are the first, I think, gateway games for for many people. Mm -hmm. Certainly while I was at university, it was very easy for me to get people around to play Risk. But then as soon as I picked out another weird and wonderful box, I could see some people getting freaked out and considering leaving. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> that's, that's, my that's my current request, quest is to find a game that, game I, can that I can play all with all my, my uh, uh, wife I've, her I've friends, and her friends, right. and not have them uh, look completely utterly against. Oh, uh, wow! Cool. Mm. Have you played
1: Dixit with them?
2: No, I haven't no, actually.
1: Dixit is a good fun game. Uh, if you don't know, if thing. you don't know much about it, um, it's a, a really sweet idea for a game. You, um, you have a hand of cards, each of which has an abstract image on it. So it could be an illustration of a little girl down the bottom of a well, or it could be a goldfish uh, swimming in a pot of gold, or there's loads of different examples like this. And during your turn you declare uh, like a hint as to what kind of card you're putting down. So you might say something like Lord of the Rings, because on your card that you're gonna put down it's got a big glowing eye above a mountain or something. So you put your card down. Everybody else in the game has to then pick the card from their hand that most represents what you have said. Everybody chucks their cards into the middle, they get shuffled, and then you turn them all over, and everyone, apart from the person who put forward the clue, has to guess which is the right card. And if you put down a card that's appropriate, then you get points. Um, If everybody guesses the right answer, then the person who put out the clue loses points. It's a really simple idea, but it's so much fun.
2: Yeah, sounds good. Sounds like someone that would uh, start a lot of uh, hilarity, in yeah, which is pretty is much the...
1: Yeah, it does. So I'd say that that's a really good a really good way to go. Um, often, uh, I mean, my wife is, is a very hardcore gamer, so I don't have to think about these things too much <laughs> when I play games with her. Um, when I first met her, she wasn't, just by the way. Um uh, slowly corrupted her. She's now firmly on the dark side and if anything I'm the one getting in trouble because we're not playing enough games (laughs) Uh, which I like Uh, but recently Agricola has been the one that we've been able to get a broader number of people playing that we didn't expect Mm
2: I've, yeah, I, I'm tempted by that. I've tried uh, Carcassonne, and I got—I was
1: greeted with a comment. Well, it wasn't horrendous, hilarious. which is oh,
2: certainly a step, step up.
1: Yeah, now I heard you mention that on a previous podcast, actually. <laughs> um, and that's rough. That's a rough deal, yeah. man. Uh, Carcassonne <laughs> is a beautiful game. Yeah, it's yeah, lovely. It's, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I love that kind of Euro artwork style that you see in a lot of these kind of crossover games that are co- becoming big hits and. I don't know whether she found the artwork uh, dull or whether she found it all right, um, because I find, again, that settlers and agricola sort of soft look to a game, um, yep. it certainly helps when, when I'm trying to get new people to play them. Yeah, yeah, definitely more accessible. Yeah, for sure, definitely. Which, you know, to bring it on to Lords of War, <laughs> yeah. yeah, is what we've tried to do with Lords of War, is make it so that it appeals to as broad a spectrum of people as possible without losing integrity which is quite difficult to do, but I think we've got there just about.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah I really yeah, like the graphics in Lords of War, I was just it's looking at your, your website
1: The illustrator is really good, is it, is it the same guy that does all of your stuff? Yep, he's yep, a guy called Steve Cox, mm. um, he actually was involved with Cosgrove Hall back in the day, so you know Danger Mouse and Count Duckula and all that sort of stuff um, and he's mostly been doing children's books for yeah. sort of the last twenty or thirty years, pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we were looking for artists, we went through about eight, eight different artists, um, one at a time, not simultaneously. So it was a quite a drawn-out process trying to find the right person. And we went through uh, some graphic novel artists, and we went through, you know, some other kind of more illustrative type artists. We went for the hard fantasy look, and the kind of airbrushed Magic the Gathering, Warcraft, Warhammer kind of style, and mm-hmm. Judge Dredd as well. We had an artist who'd done some Judge Dredd before. That was pretty cool. Um, but it was really, really important to me that um, the game function as a kind of crossover game where, like, dads could play it with their daughters, and the daughters... Yeah. Would, like, their dad wouldn't feel awkward about it, the daughter wouldn't feel awkward about it. Same with, like... Husbands and wives, and boyfriends and girlfriends, or boyfriends and boyfriends, and girlfriends <laughs> and girlfriends, because those are the times we live in now. Um, but, you know, just so that it was still funky, no matter who you were. Um, and Steve and I had to work quite a long time to sort of pitch that balance and tone. Yeah, yes, so it certainly
0: looks like something, something that I wouldn't feel too bad about um, uh, pulling out and uh, playing with my niece. Uh, Oh, good. I'm pretty sure she has uh, books by that artist actually
1: uh, in in her collection already. Uh, He's an extremely talented man. He's done an awful lot of stuff. If you check out his website, there's loads of things that he refers to on there. Um, But this is the first game project that he's had anything to do with. Um, And I think for him... Um, speaking for Steve, but I you know, having spoken to him at length about it, it was an opportunity for him to do something really different from what he'd been doing for such a long period of his life um, and the thing that got him into illustration in the first place was his passion for Lord of the Rings, and he used to draw all the character artwork just for himself and for his own amusement and The first time I met him and sat down with him, he, he pulled out a sketchpad and showed me these illustrations that he'd done when he was, like, 19. Um, And we just kind of leafed through them. And I went, yeah, that, and that, and that. That, That's what we're after.
0: So got a chance to go back to his roots.
1: Oh, definitely. And, and I still think he's enjoying exploring those. Um, and, you know, it is incredibly fun building a universe. I mean, you guys know through the RPG stuff and the games mastering and, and DMing stuff that you guys do, um, there is nothing more fun than kind of, putting your imagination out there and seeing what you can create and whether you can make something that fits together and makes sense and is coherent for somebody else coming from the outside. And, and that's one of the most important things for me about Lords of War is that you know that there is more behind it than just the illustrations. You can like the illustrations for what they are. Um, but then if you actually look at the clothing that people are wearing or you know, the weapons that they're using and weird little things like that. Like, there, There is reasons why different people are using different things, and, and you can know that and enjoy the game, and you can not know that and enjoy the game, but it's more, more for me that, that there is a logic to it because I think, personally, I find it a little bit jarring when I'm playing games and I go, but that doesn't seem to make much sense with the other thing. <laughs> yeah, you get a feel of emptiness where there's nothing there's behind there's it. There's uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. And of course you want people to to tell their own stories too. Um, that's, you know, I think one of the most magical things about gaming is that you in, you use your imagination to not only sort of transport yourself and imagine this hypothetical scenario in which you find yourself, but also that leads off down alleys of, like, inference of of things you're like, well, that would mean that, and that could mean that, and, hmm, I wonder. Um, And we found it quite fun watching at, at, you know, conventions and stuff, seeing how people who like the orcs play in an orcish way and will sometimes (laughs) do things that don't necessarily make the most sense for the game, but because they're playing orcs, they've got into it, you know? They all play it. A little bit, yeah, which I really like because, yeah, I mean, that's a, another big part of my gaming history is is DMing and, and you know, engineering systems um, to try out in like a massive role play game that I created. So a lot of my, my game's uh, designs and mechanics turn up at some point or another in this long RPG game that I've been writing for years now. And, uh, So my buddies who are members of that group are my first testbed audience for many of my stupid ideas.
2: (laughs) You always need those uh, slightly safe people to uh, (laughs) test things out, don't you?
1: Yeah, you do. You do. But also it's quite fun, I think, to um, try and design a game for someone if you have someone in mind where you think this is going to appeal to that person and if I do this they'll like it more and if I do this they'll like it less so I won't do that, I'll do a bit more of this and so on and so <laughs> forth. Um, yeah it's like house rules as well with board games and card games you know yeah. sometimes you just know this isn't going to work for this person if we play it this way but if we tweak it they're going to love it. <laughs> yeah. so,
2: so that's so. interesting, what's the person like that you're designing for them? What, who is your uh, ideal <laughs>
1: gamer? Well, I mean, with Lords of War, um, it's slightly complicated because you've got both Nick and I, and we have slightly separate agendas when we were heading into making Lords of War. So, you know, I mean, the two of us didn't know each other as friends or anything before we embarked on uh, Black Box, um, which is the name of the company Mm -hmm. uh, that's that's published and and designed Lords of War. Um, We're the only two people who are part of the company. and you know, really we only came together through a mutual friend because we both were so passionate about games design and when I'm looking at games I want them to be as kind of accessible and open to as many people to sort of cross-pollinate between generations I think is really important to get older gamers playing with younger gamers for me is, is really key. Um, that's not to say that older gamers shouldn't be able to play the game with each other or younger gamers shouldn't be able to play the game with each other, but you know, bearing in mind my personal history and the way that I grew up playing games, I always have a fondness for those games that drew links between me and my parents or me and my grandparents even. So I came into it with that. Uh, Nick came in with it, a kind of clinical desire to see mechanics function. <laughs> Um, and he did, he was the guy who originally came up with the concept for Lords of War. That the most basic mechanic uh, came out of his wargaming because he'd been a massive historical and uh, fantasy role player back in back in the day. Not role player, sorry, a uh, wargamer. Um, and he got fed up of carrying around suitcases full of miniatures, basically. Um, so he wanted to try and boil down miniature gaming onto cards, and he came out with Lords of War and. That was about 13 years ago or something like that. He sort of designed it for his gaming group. They played it a bunch, so they were like, this is a really good idea. Thanks, Nick. Great, yeah, thanks, guys. <laughs> and then he slung it into his game design box and didn't take it out again until I came a knock-in and went, so, what have you got?
0: <laughs>
1: well, that yeah. sounds
2: like a good segue. Why don't you tell us about, about the game? Actually, because uh, there's probably <laughs> plenty of
1: listeners that haven't come across it so far. Okay, so, yeah, I mean, I'd mean, i be surprised if many of your listeners have, Sorry, because...
0: See uh you've you've heard you've heard our review, uh, so now correct us on what we got wrong.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well no you didn't. I was listening to uh, to your review last week and your explanation of the game and I was thinking, Yes, yes. This is this is something I can promote and point people towards. Look, these guys understand. Um, so yeah, Thanks for
0: that. That. I really appreciate it.
1: Well no, thank you. <laughs> it's it's really nice when people um when people understand what you you've done, <laughs> um, because you, you know,
3: uh,
1: as game designers yourself, you know that whenever you put out something, you feel a sense of risk, don't you? Like, is my idea going to be received as I intended it to be understood? So,
0: the fact well, that should, you should, you know, should, should say, say um, is. is Joe, Joe's the game designer. We are we are
1: enthusiastic amateurs. <laughs> yeah, but the way you guys talk about games, you're still working on it in your head, aren't you? I mean, it's not like you you just play what's in front of you. You're thinking about it and coming up with inferences and little steers off the side. I'd like to think so. so yes.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, you're right. Really I mean, yeah, yeah. I suppose well, we always We're talk always about, the about the fact that games design system, even if you're GMing and stuff, that stuff that is, like that, is still, still designing still a game, even if you're
1: borrowing some of the system, system again. Yeah, absolutely. But, no, no, yeah. I, I think it's very hard to find an original game concept to yeah. out there, something that's truly, truly original. Yeah.
2: But I think but I, I think, think Grant's right. We are definitely amateurs compared to people who have actually put
1: out a game like yourself. Oh, well, yeah, I guess so. I don't feel... So I certainly don't feel like a, a, a like a professional game designer. I think if I could support myself doing it, that would mean a, a huge amount to me, but as it is, it's, um, it's a part-time job that I do outside of my main job that seems to mostly take money from me. <laughs> <laughs> um, getting involved in game design from the start, we didn't foresee so many of the things that That have come across our paths as we've gone through the process, and Nick and I sometimes joke because I mean, Nick and I spend a good hour a day on the phone together talking about what we've got to do next for the business and so on and so forth. Um, And you know, I remember Nick saying like a a couple of weeks ago, "If we knew how hard this is going to be at the start, do you think we'd engaged in this madness?" I'd say yes, still, because it's definitely the most rewarding thing I've done. Um, but, you know, someone described us as a breakout success the other day, and that made me feel incredibly proud, although I did kind of think to myself, gosh, is this what success feels like? Because, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so Lords of War, I mean, we've been going for a little under a year. We launched at Dragon Meat in London um, last December with uh, Lords of War Orcs vs. Dwarves, which is our, our first release uh, as a publisher um, and as, as sort of part of the Lords of War uh, family of games that we're trying to put together. Originally, we designed three fantasy battles, Lords of War double decks to go together. So the idea is you buy each pack and you get two complete armies with it. Uh, no disappointing birthdays or Christmas mornings where you find out that actually you need another person to play with with a whole other separate card deck or anything. The whole thing is in the box, and that was kind of one of the principles of, of Lords of War when we founded it. Um, and yeah, Orcs vs. Doors was the first one we released, and then we managed to release uh, Elves vs. Lizardmen in July of this year. Um, and in the interim between Orcs vs. Dwarves being released and Elves vs. Lizardmen being released we've managed to submit Orcs vs. Dwarves and the Elves vs. Lizardmen prototype which Nick had printed out on a laser jet printer and cut up with a scalpel and stuff and folded it mm-hmm. together and we submitted them to the UK Games Expo uh, awards. Um, I don't know if you guys have been to the UK Games Expo? No, not, not that. Oh, oh. oh, it's a really lovely fun event. It takes place in Birmingham Um, and uh, they call it the UK's biggest uh, board gaming and and card gaming fair. I mean, Salute is by far the biggest convention that I've been to in in the UK so far, Um, and we were at Salute also, but the UK Games Expo, lovely place, I mean it's very much focused on board and card above everything else, Um, and we were in the best strategic card game category against some stiff competition, um, I mean Munchkin were in there, Star Wars Ooh. Card Game was in there, mm-hmm. you know, major companies, and then there was us, and um, and we won it, which was crazy, uh, once that happened, then we'd been trying for like over over a year, certainly, maybe even longer than that, to try and get meetings with big and significant companies, and then all of a sudden we won that award, and it just made everything possible for us, really. Great stuff. Yeah. So that, so that yeah, yeah and
2: that's. that's <laughs> so what well, came came out of that then? You, you went and had meetings. Was that when you managed to start creating it um, in larger, larger volumes, volumes and actually getting it into shops and stuff like that?
1: Well, no. I mean, what, what? I mean, you guys are familiar with with distribution and how games distribution functions, and in the UK there is. Like one major, major distributor called Estivium Games there, like the biggest games distributor in this country. And there are lots of other fantastic smaller companies such as Coiled Spring and Kingsley and a bunch of other distributors. Um, And after Orcs vs. Dwarves came out we met uh, a bunch of these smaller distributors and were saying, so guys, do you want to distribute Lords of War? And they were saying, you guys would be better off with Estivium because they're a bigger company and, and your game could be really big which is awesome but (laughs) nobody at SDVM wanted to talk to us. (laughs) So for months and months and months we were just calling their office trying to get them to uh, take a phone call with us and look at the game Um, and after the UK Games Expo award um, we got meetings with them and and that helped a lot and once we had SDVM in the UK it meant that we could get in contact more comfortably with distributors uh, Internationally, I suppose, Um, but I mean, even that was a slow grind process in terms of getting into retailers in this country. The way we did it is, believe it or not, just calling them on the phone. (laughs) Um, We found it so hard to get through to Estivium that between sort of January of this year and uh, I'd say, you know, May June of this year, even after we'd won the award, we we just went through the phone book and any online registry we could possibly find, compi- compiled this massive spreadsheet mm-hmm. and literally called as many games shops in the UK as we could possibly find. Um, that's a time-consuming process, especially when you're yeah. when you're working full-time. So you get home every day and you just hit the phones and start calling. But that is what we did. And mm-hmm. we put in the hard graft and and so far in the UK we're in... Uh, at least 80 retailers we're, we're probably in more now but the 80 retailer figure came from a little while ago before we went to Essen which was its own crazy experience.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's funny so, how yeah, people, people forget, forget that, that approach. approach. That's That's just for folk. It's so, easy, so to easy to send an to email, send email these days people send out hundred emails yeah. and they say I know if they got back to me but they, you ask them if they actually picked up a phone and talked to somebody or even went and saw somebody, and saw somebody in, somebody person, in person, person and they haven't done yeah. that.
1: Oh, if you can go in person, it makes the biggest difference. And, th- and that's why the cons are so important for any aspiring games designer or games design company. Mm-hmm. You need prototypes, and you need to be able to send those prototypes to people in a worst-case scenario, in a best-case scenario, you need to meet with them. Um, and cons are great for that, because you don't really know who's going to be attending many of these cons, but if you're running demos and your demos are going well, you will find these people will come, and they'll basically secret are you, Mm-hmm. They'll sit down, take a demo, play the game with you, and then they'll go, OK, so I work for one of the UK's largest online retailers, um, and I'm happy to tell you that we'd like to take your game. And then it's just like, awesome. <laughs> that was good. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, cons are pretty, you know, the bigger cons are, are sort of few and far between. You know, in this country, the ones, the main ones that we've attended uh, were Salute, which is more of a wargaming show, The UK Games Expo, which, as I said, is is more of a a card and board gaming show. Mm -hmm. Colors in Newbury, which is a smaller gaming show, but it's still really fun, lovely atmosphere there. Um, Then uh, there's Dragon Meat at the end of the year. I mean, those are your big ones in this country uh, that we're aware of, anyway. So, yeah. Yeah, I was looking at your website. website.
0: A really good, really good website. website. There's lots of information there, and everyone should check out uh, lords
1: of war.com. Thank you. The guy who owns lordsofwar.com would not part with it. I tried very hard, but he just wants that thing, man. So you had to insert the dashes.
0: Yeah. Small price to pay.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, but I was noticing on there, you've got, it you seems to have a really good
1: team, uh, or a
0: sizable team that goes to the cons with you. Is
1: that my yes. friends mainly? So that awesome. is, yeah, my wife is in all those photos. Um, you'll see a girl with glasses and dyed hair. That's my sister. Um, I've got uh, my sister-in-law, so Nyan, my wife's sister, Neathy. She often comes and volunteers. And then I think the ones on the website are from the UK Games Expo, where we won the award. Um, and now you've got Tom, my friend from university, so one of my best buddies, and uh, his wife-to-be, uh, Sarah. They're getting married next year. So it is literally calling up friends going, Hi, so would you be free on the weekend of the whatever? And they're going, Yeah, what do you want to do? Should we come? Should we play some games? Um, well, we've got a convention, and uh, could you help us,
0: please? Just come come away for a weekend of this. You can't drink cause you have to be up in the morning. <laughs> you can't play any games. You're too busy selling games. But It'll be
3: great.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is, it's mad doing some of these conventions because um, you're thinking, right, I need to go to the bathroom. I badly need something to eat. I badly need a coffee, but I can't go because I'm too busy. You know, the, the booth's heaving. Let, let's make hay while the sun shines. My body will recover from this pain. Let's just sell.
3: <laughs> uh,
1: so yeah, I mean the, the team is wider than Nick and I in the sense of we've got a lot of help from our friends and family um, and you know we are enormously appreciative because without them you know there wouldn't be a company at all. It's not just the assistants at the gaming shows and things like that, it's they're the people that we call when we're freaking out because when you do anything important you know I think well, I don't know. I certainly freak out a bit, you know. I've got to call people up, <laughs> freak out at them for a bit. They calm me down, tell me I'm talking nonsense, give me a sharp slap around the face, and then um, I'm back to it <laughs> again. So yeah.
2: Do you think that was anything That's to do with your success on uh, Kickstarter? You know, we were joking before on air around just your sort of stress, stress levels there. Level but, but it's it's obviously it's doing, doing quite well. It's up to too. what is it, fourteen
1: thousand one hundred now? Yeah, uh, yeah. We have climbed up in a big way in the last 24 hours, which has been fantastic. Um, and yeah, the, the friends and family have been pretty amazing for the sharing, and emailing, and you know, texting on to people. Um, but I would say that actually, in reality, the people that we know who've pledged on the Kickstarter is a pretty small fraction. Um, obviously, I'm hugely appreciative <laughs> that people have, have, you know, that people I know have. Uh, pledged, but I think the, the real magic of it, and the bit that I truly don't understand, is um, the people who don't know me from Adam who are saying, "I will trust you with my cash." I, I'm saying, "Yes, you will give me a good time. Here is some money." <laughs> You've convinced them Yeah. Well, yeah, God, that was stressful. Um, (laughs) You may notice if you watch some Lords of War videos, and you probably won't thank me for mentioning this, but Nick, um, normally he's fine. Normally he, he has a stutter under control, but when he is on film and when he's sort of having an important meeting or something like that, it becomes like the King's Speech. Um, and the recording of that video, you'll see that I actually changed t-shirts in the video because I was sweating so much on Nick's behalf <laughs> that I had to go and get changed.
0: <laughs> Happens so to lots of people, of people. If, you, if you look at interviews with the Scotland rugby captain, he actually has a stammer and he's yep. kind of managing it. It's so all big big brave guys are still uh, still still,
1: you know, it's still a thing for them. Absolutely. But, I mean, just standing in front of a camera and being recorded is a strange thing. Like, the first videos that we recorded were um, just before Orcs vs. Dwarves came out, and and Nick was just trying to say to me, no, Martin, you just do it. You you know, you're confident when you stand in front of a camera. You can at least talk. Um, But, you know, we're a team, and we're in it together, and I wouldn't feel right if he wasn't there uh, not saying an enormous amount on screen beside me.
0: <laughs> Talking before about, so you are two quite different characters, both in terms of presenting things and your sort of philosophy on, or where you're coming from for game design. Um, yeah. How does that? Um, um, imagine imagine there's, some there's some tension there. The
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, we bicker incessantly. <laughs> I mean, we get along incredibly well. I trust him with. Everything you know my whole life, I trust Nick, um, and I think it's rare when you meet people and you just go right i I feel like I know you um, fine so within about ten minutes of Nick and I having met each other, there was just a kind of chemistry there which meant that our creative process you know it works very fast so when we're working on game design that's very smooth and and, and easy on the whole. We do argue about specifics of game design at length like when I first sort of redesigned Lords of War, he gave me his prototype, I took it away, and I sort of did this crazy, bombastic redesign, because I wanted to show him that it could be something radically different from what he'd, he'd originally conceived it as, while still using the same core idea. And he was so angry that we had like a five minute, uh, sorry, five, five hour like slanging match on the phone. <laughs> um, that happens frequently uh but always in a good way always ends positively we just like to debate a lot so yeah we are very different people um nick has this really great analogy where he talks about our relationship as like a we're like a family now the the kind of the company has fused my family and his family together and we all know each other and everybody's helping and volunteering and kind of invested in the progress uh, of the company and, and the product. And um, and in doing so, we have this sort of brotherly relationship where, I don't know, I mean, I, I have a sister. We get along like a house on fire, but I know that nothing that I ever say to my sister could actually offend her sufficiently that she would just say, yeah. enough of you, I will never speak yeah. to you again. Um, <laughs> and I feel that. That way with Nick, so there's a there's a nice freedom in that relationship.
2: I always I imagine, imagine that must be necessary, necessary for two people pretty to, pretty work to work together and, work so and actually, actually create something great. You've got, I suppose, you have to be pretty honest and tell each other when you have a shit idea, basically.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's probably going to prove something. Any great yeah. Yeah, you do. Um, Nick, every once in a while, does remind me that I just need to tell him to shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of his big, his big points. yeah, Martin, if I'm just just going on a bit too much, then you just tell me, man. You just tell me. So uh, so that's good. That's handy. But also handy is that he can do things like build a spreadsheet for hours on end and be as methodical as going through every damn retailer in the country, divvying up the list and going, you call these people, I'm calling these people, and he will just work through that list. Whereas for me, I'm more thinking about the vision for the company. And, you know, <laughs> all that kind of artsy stuff, and, and he has no interest at all in social media, just, he, he really doesn't understand it, doesn't want to have anything to do with it, it freaks him out a little bit. He has, I think, about three friends on Facebook. Um, <laughs> he only joined because I bullied him into it, because I kept talking about the Lords of War Facebook page, and he's like, I don't understand what you're talking about, could you please explain to me what you're talking about? I was like, no, just join <laughs> Facebook. And then you can see what I'm doing
2: there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm absolutely, absolutely jealous of that. Getting bugged so much with like tweets and Google Pluses and Facebooks and they're like sometimes,
1: <sighs> Yeah. Been all, yeah, all. No. I mean, he didn't even have a phone until <laughs> after Orcs versus Dwarves launched. I had to pressure him so into. I was like, Nick, we have to meet up at this place. Stop borrowing your wife's phone. She doesn't like giving it to you. You have <laughs> to get a phone. So now he has a phone, and funnily enough, now he has it. He loves it, as any sensible human being would. Um, <laughs> mobile phones now are incredible devices. Wow. <laughs> um, this is I mean, this is
2: great stuff as well, but I suppose we should talk about the game a little bit as well. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, well, my what pleasure. Was here. I'm interested. What was your kind of... Um, like? You talk about designing for your ideal gamer. What oh were the kind God. of the main... Aims in this game, like what, was it,
1: accessibility, or was it? So, he's talk about going to get rid of the miniatures and <laughs> carry stuff. So what were the main? Well, for me, I mean, there were several inspirations with the game. Um, one being uh, creating something as simple as possible in terms of the components that you required, but that had this sort of infinite potential for strategy and play. Um, so it was boiling down an awful lot of ideas into a simple format as, as possible and ensuring that the game never lost that novelty value and that sense of satisfaction when you played it. And, you know, we went through such an extensive playtesting process to try and make sure that everything was, you know, balanced but different so the armies felt fair but they also felt different from one another and distinct that they actually played like the... People that they were representing on the cards and so on. Um, so that kind of simplicity, that's high, well, sort of hidden complexity, I suppose, is one of the fundamental parts. Um, also, production costs was a big, big factor because you know a lot of Nick and my ideas are these big, big board game concepts that we would never, in a million years, have been able to uh, self-publish. And, you know, we tried really hard to get together sensible deals to publish some of our previous games. Um, and you know, we were just coming out of a recession <laughs> when we were trying to do this. So we had a couple of people sort of buy games concepts from us, brokers, and other people buying sort of licenses to the games, but then they didn't do anything with them. They just kind of sat with them for two or three years. Mm-hmm. and. Yeah, we felt really depressed, and we thought, right, we're not going to let this happen to another one of our babies. Let's make one for ourselves. Let's publish this thing ourselves. And in order to do that, we had to think, how can we pair this back without ever, ever, ever m- sort of letting the gamer down? That's the most important part for us, is that sense that we hope people will keep coming back to Lords of War, but also our other games, hopefully, that we will hopefully make one day, <laughs> just thinking, yeah, I never get bored of this thing.
2: Yeah, I can yeah, see that. I mean, I, 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 I have to admit, it's Joe and Grant have played it so far and I can't wait to get over and play with their cards. So I'm not actually sure what the mechanics and all that are like, but from what they were saying, it sounds
1: like it's uh, got that complexity, complexity that you can keep playing. Well, hopefully. That, that's that's the objective. If we failed, though, please do let me know. Um, <laughs> you can either announce it via the Medium of podcast or just send me a quiet email and go, Martin, no. You're fine, buddy. <laughs> Terrible. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I oh, don't so, want we to wear we'll this. So, so are, you, are you familiar with the um, with the mechanic?
2: Yes. Yeah, we so, chatted about it uh, last uh, time round. Yeah, time around. yeah. Uh, in yeah. the last podcast. So, yeah. yeah. But actually, I, it'd, it'd be good. We said really really earlier on. Long, but you right. do you have like a two or three minute elevator pitch of what uh, the mechanic is, just in case people missed the last podcast?
1: Yeah, sure. That's that's easy to do. Um, so, Lords of War is a uh, dueling game. Although you can play the game in teams, so it becomes a team battle mm-hmm. game. But effectively. Uh, it simulates a skirmish between opponents. Um, the way the game's played, it's on a sort of grid system. Every card has a shield value, which represents their defense. And then they also have a series of attack arrows on the edges or corners. Um, different cards will have a different numbers of arrows, or they'll have different points values in those arrows. So you might have a card which has, say, a shield value of, of 1, Um, and an attack arrow just pointing forward that does 5 damage. If you place that card down onto a board, anything that's got a shield value of uh, 4 or below will die, but you've got to exceed an opponent's shield value in order to defeat them. So if they've got a shield value of 5 and you're attacking them with 5, they will live, and that person you've just played down with one defense is going to be quite easily dispatched. So as you play the game, laying one card per turn uh, each player lays a card, so you know player one will play, and then player two will play, and then I'll respond to what you've done, and you'll respond to what I've done, and so on and so forth. The game quite quickly escalates, and you end up having quite a lot of options as to how you can play the varied cards in your hand to either shore up your own cards and build defensive structures, and maybe hide some archers behind them that you know are pinging over attacks, um, or you can just bring the fight to your opponent and. Hopefully, disable some of his cards that he might be moving in and out of a battle doing repeated damage and killing your cards. And that's the basics of, of how Lords of War functions. It takes about 30 to 45 minutes to play.
2: Great. Great. See, so that's always one of my aims with a game. It has to be quick these days. I used to be able to manage six hour epic six hour Warhammer, Warhammer games, games. but uh, life has gone beyond that now. Too many things really happening. Exactly. So 30 uh,
1: 30 yeah, it can be. I mean, there is something really special about playing a hell of a long game. So, if if you've set aside a weekend to play Twilight Imperium, there are a few things more luxurious in life than being able to just basically eat junk food and play that kind of game that will just go on and on and on and the intrigue and the arguments and the debates will kind of roll in and out of the game. Um, But yeah, I mean, I can completely sympathise. I get home after work and I want to play games, but you know, Even most of my video games, I look at them and I think, oh, I want to play four hours or five hours playing this game and get really into it. I can't just plug in for an hour. What's the point of that? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so, yeah, that, that was one of the things for, for Lords of War, <clears throat> that it could be a warm-up game for war gamers who are waiting for their other uh, like serious bodies to uh, arrive and set up or anything like that. Um, and also it can just be this sort of game that you can play in pretty much any circumstance. I mean, mm-hmm. it's got a playmat in the in the box which originally wasn't actually part of the product. You know, we didn't design Lords of War to have a playmat. It was designed to just be played on any flat surface of whatever size you wanted it to be with the same setup formation that you have on the battle mat. But, Basically, when we were demoing the game and doing playtesting, testing, um, every single demo started with, OK, imagine a big grid. And we just thought, oh, sod it. Let's just put a big grid there so people don't have to imagine it. Then when they figured out how the mechanics of the game work, they will clock pretty quickly that they can just get rid of that play mat and just let it play across the table. Yeah, very.
2: Sorry, I've Sorry, been hogging the questions, questions a bit. I'll, I'll pass over, over to, to uh, Grant and yeah. his tick list. I think Joe's just
3: joined us as well. Hello, Joe. Hello, hello. Sorry, it's uh, late in the day. Hi, yeah. Joe. Good
1: to be here. Hi. <laughs> so yeah, that. what yeah. were
0: yeah. your yeah. tasks, Grant? Yeah. What's on your list? Um, oh, I've almost, I've almost spent the list now. <laughs> I was gonna just ask because we've uh, reviewed and, and played uh, elves and lizardmen. Um, yeah. if you could maybe take us through how. The, the first set, of uh, the Dwarves and the Orcs differ from, from
1: those forces and how, how they play. Sure, okay. Well I would say that, generally speaking, in Orcs and Dwarves you have a bunch more high shield value cards than you have in Elves versus lizard Lizardmen. So generally the Elves and Lizardmen are a bit more vulnerable, um, but they've also got a, bit, a lot more flexibility. So mm-hmm. the Orcs, I'd say, are the uh, kind of compulsive attack deck. If you stop attacking your opponent with the Orcs, then you're probably going to get into trouble. You're not, you can't really afford to play defensively. Um, although you do have a bunch of Goblin units in there who are pretty rubbish, to be fair. But they're in there to be bait. So you're trying to line up your opponent to lay down a ton of cards, and then you are saving in your hand these massive orc monstrous cards that you're then laying down and killing multiples. And uh, yeah, the the orc general is a good representation of that. He's only got a shield value of five. Um, oh no, he's got a shield value of six, sorry. But he's got three fives at the top of his card. So yeah, two fives in the diagonal directions and a five straight ahead. And... That's pretty brutal, getting triple kills with that guy. is pretty satisfying. Um, and then the dwarves, I'd say, are probably... I mean, Nick's favourite army is the dwarves. Um, and I think he likes them because he's he's a bit of a chicken. Ah, <laughs> ah. um, yeah. They're, they're a more defensive army with some really good ranged units. And they have some, like, solid Berserker troops, but they're a lot about protecting one another. So... High shield values, not necessarily the best attacks. They have some strong attacks, but they're very limited in. Well, they're an inflexible army, I suppose is the way that I'd I'd phrase it, which I think kind of matches with what you expect dwarves to do. They they can so kind of dwarf. do the one thing at a time, be methodical. Um and, and, yeah, I love killing dwarves <laughs> in, in Lords of War. Just um, so you know, my
2: uh, war my war. first ever Warhammer army was dwarves, and they're still one of my favorites.
1: Yeah, <laughs> he loves them. Same. No He's got all of his suitcases full of his dwarven miniatures. He will never give them up. He loves them so, so much. Uh, which, the problem is
3: that I love them, but I uh, hate them at the same time. I love them, but I never play with them. You are frustrated with them, weren't you? You liked the dwarves, but it didn't quite work in your. Exactly. I like the idea. The, the idea. Yeah, so I'll be buying you a dwarf pack, but I'll probably never actually use it. <laughs> so,
1: um, <laughs> I, I, do rec- I recommend for new, like brand spanking new players, I'd say uh, give the dwarves uh, a spin, because they're pretty straightforward in how you play them. I mean, you do have some really fun cards in there, like uh, the dwarf sharpshooter, which has no attack arrows on it, a bit like the skink dart spitter in the Lizardmen deck. Um, but he just shoots in a straight line in front of him for three squares for five. So, Ooh. deadly sniper card, but incredibly vulnerable, so if you find good opportunities to play and retreat your snipers, you're having yeah a lot of fun with the dwarves. Um, <laughs> do you guys have preferences in terms of the Elves and Lizardmen, by the way? Um, I'm always curious.
3: Well, it's interesting. We only played the, the three games, and we, we decided to stick with the same decks, well Grant in fact decided to stick with the same deck, which was the Elf deck. Sure. Um, which is unusual because no, I normally like the elves. I've got a wood elf army and stuff, and of my good guys, I always like yeah. the the wood elves. Um, but I went with wow. the lizards. Ooh. And? And uh, the lizards pretty much stomped the wood elves, I'd say, three times. <laughs>
1: hey, fantastic! It's really fun finding out who wins with what, because like our local game shop. Um, there's a guy in Shoreham, which is not far from where Nick's live. Nick lives, and we run quite a lot of gaming nights out of there, and and he is always a real supporter of ours. And uh, he was absolutely convinced for his first, like, three games that the elves were just so much better than all of the other armies, and we'd broken the game, mm-hmm. and then it all turned. And, yeah, Lizardmen became his favourite, and then dwarves again. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's interesting finding out who... Who rolls about We had these guys at Essen who came up to us and went, Your orcs are overpowered, they keep beating all the other ones? I was like was was it was the same person playing as them? Yeah. Do you think it mm. might be that they're just a bit better at the game? <laughs> <laughs> Are you sarcastic about all criticism that comes your way? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, no, I am. I, I'm an incredibly defensive person. Though. <laughs> like, no, no, everything is perfect. Everything is fine. I don't make mistakes. <laughs> Quite a <lie. laughs>
3: Why yeah. Why <laughs>
2: One of the things yeah. with Joe's games, he always gives us his games to play test and we always say, change this, change that, but it never changes yeah. anything, it never oh, anything. Yeah. Well,
1: um. sometimes you have to dig your heels in there, man, it's a matter of principle. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs>
3: yeah, but um, that's, uh, balance is an uh, important issue, or because it seems pretty well balanced so far. How did you go did about you trying to achieve that? that? And for the different decks, do you have like a formula? I mean, don't give it to us if you do, but do have a formula for calculating how many attack
1: arrows there should be in a deck and what um, there should be. Or? Yes, yes, it isn't isn't quite like that, but yeah, generally speaking, well, there is a formula, absolutely, um, and we came to that formula after so much work. Originally, we had a points value system that was quite similar to wargaming, so we figured out this points value system which. Uh, when Nick originally wanted a points value system and and over time I just had to simplify it and chunk it down because the sort of pre-building your deck options for Lords of War I think are quite important to me. I want that kind of level of experimentation. So I've learned the basic rules of the game, I've learned the intermediate rules of the game, what is there for me now? Oh yes, I can experiment with trying to tweak my army this way or that way or the other way. Um, and so, yeah, we started out with this, this points value system, which then became the rank system, which is currently in the game. So there's a formula that applies to the different ranks of cards in your army. Um, and I really experimented a hell of a lot. I, I printed out loads and loads and loads of card um, frame, sort of very simple pieces of, like, not word art, but pretty much word art, like shapes in word, um, with the empty shield symbol and would write the maths on the card and experiment with all these different attack arrows and go, okay, that feels dwarven to me, that feels orky, that feels like a templar, that feels undead. And there'd be other cards that didn't feel like they belonged in in any of those. And so some of them would be put into like a science fiction, a couple of races that we started to build, or a steampunky kind of couple of races. And there are these other mechanics that aren't in Orcs vs Dwarves or Elves vs Lizardmen or even Templars vs Undead, like spell casting and monstrous creatures and flying creatures and like spectral opponents and loads of these other mechanics that kind of you know they're really fun and we really love them, but we decided to sort of keep as many of them back as we possibly could, and really the things that are in the existing packs that kind of mix them up a little bit, mix up gameplay and kind of change things are the ranged cards, the cavalry rules, which I don't know if you've played with yet, um, and sort of the general skipping a turn. Those are the real kind of novelty elements of of what exists currently with Lords of War, but hopefully we'll get opportunities in the future to start introducing more of these little fun ideas. But, you know, for us it's really important that the cards and the decks remain balanced. So, you've got Elves versus Lizardmen. I would hope if we manage to get other decks released in the future, or, or, you know, if Templars and Undead is successful on Kickstarter, which, you know, everything is crossed that it will be, your Elves and your Lizardmen will still be able to trounce the Templars or the Undead, provided Mm -hmm. that you're playing the game as best you can. Well, me better than I can.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'll I'll be the one getting trashed. So, yeah, why don't you tell us then, uh, take us on to what features will be added by the Templars and the Undead and how they're going to play differently. Sure, okay.
1: They are, yeah, they've got some some funky stuff. Um, The Templars are far more heavily armoured than even the Dwarves. So the Dwarves, you have some foolhardy Dwarves who are wearing very little armour and are mostly drunk um, and do a lot of damage but then die. Um, And the Templars are much more of a kind of steady, stable, uh, defensive structure building deck. Um, And one of their special units is... Uh, a palisade so a big wooden barrier on wheels that actually their cards can push around the board so you can create this palisade that you move that allow and it has like a shield value of 10 right so it's this really solid steady kind of center to your strategy that you can build around and and exploit and doesn't do any damage really I think it's got maybe a one on it or something but yeah that's all it does it's a uh, It's just this big, solid mass that it moves around, and and that's kind of how the Templars play. They are about this steady, whittling attack with the odd, very precise and deadly unit that will come in and hopefully clear a few cards in in one go. Whereas the Undead are mad as a bag of snakes. They have a a whole load of variety in that pack. But generally speaking they're quite sacrificial, so a bit like the lizard men, expect to lose undead units and get multiple kills for it. Um, They have some very strong cards with high defense values, difficult things to kill. Um, But then they've also got Zombies, which despite being incredibly frail, um, have reasonably high attack values. They're not sort of the highest ranked troops by any stretch of the imagination, but they can move around the board and engage multiple units or sort of, you know, people forget that they're there and then out stumbles a zombie and engages or destroys one or two cards. It's, they're quite a tricky deck based on distraction. They're my favourite of the armies that we've made so far. I tend to play Lizardmen because um, I like some of the weird things that you can do with Lizardmen, particularly the Skink dart spitters. I love those cards so much. Um, <laughs> and with the undead, there are similar troops that I just find so, so, so much fun. Um, so yeah, those are, those are kind of the distinctions, really, that the new things that they add in. So they're, they're, they've got the first moving troops in Lords of War, which uh, may seem like anathema to people who've played a bit of the game, because cards otherwise don't really move. A bit
0: of a, a departure, departure, or at least a, a big development.
1: Yeah, yeah, but I think if you think about it in these terms, um, in the Undead deck, there are only two or three types of zombie, and they're the only ones that can move. Um, And in the Templar deck, there is just the two Ballistas, and they are the only ones that can move. So it's not like they're having a whole ton of new cards that's going to completely change the game, um, but it will certainly shake up the game and prevent people who are used to playing with say, a bunch of elven bow people, bow maidens and bow men just kind of hiding at the back firing loads of arrows, which is how a lot of elf players try and play Lords of War, Um, they're not going to be safe anymore. You can't get away with that. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and likewise, you know, when you've got a dwarven opponent who likes to build his sort of semi-strong, shambolic defensive structure, um, you can't rely upon that keeping you safe anymore, because people, well, Zombies are probably going to shamble towards you and mess your plans up. So, yeah, it's just uh, more ways to play the game, really. That's the fundamental um, of it. Plus, you know, new beautiful artwork and storyline and all that other stuff that I really like. But yeah. uh, more, I understand it's not everybody's bag. <laughs> the more you're talking to, the more tired, tired, I
2: can win. I
1: need oh, to get to uh, <clears> uh, <throat> <laughs> Oh, good. I'm, I'm glad that you're enthusiastic about it. I mean, to be honest, you know, when, when I hear from people who are really passionate about the game, and, you know, we've been really blown away by the response that we've had from people, and, and we are constantly so appreciative of people who've, who've got in touch. Um, but there was this sort of spell that happened around July, August, where... We were shipping our first copies of Lords of War out sort of internationally, so people in Germany or Australia or whichever else country were buying individual packs through our website. And they were taking photos of themselves playing the game and emailing it to us or putting it up on Facebook. And just that somebody would take the time to think that would be nice for these guys and nice yeah, for other fans of the awesome. game to see. That was really heartening. And, and then that developed into like parents playing with their kids and uncles playing with their nephews or their nieces, or like one couple posted up a picture of their iguana who'd come in and trashed their game, which is actually in the Kickstarter Pledge video. Um, I sort of whacked that in there for a reference to the people who've been part of the Facebook group for a while. Uh, just to say, hey, guys, remember when that happened? When Jub-Jub the iguana? Waddled into their Elves vs. Lisbon game and ruined it?
0: <laughs> Was it actually called Job Job? Yeah, Job Job the iguana. That's the same as the one up at the Simpsons. Anyway. <laughs> but you're right, that right, must be I'm such
2: a, just, uh, a watershed, uh, water and watershed. And stuff creating it's something like that. that. As soon as you start getting, getting that kind of. I mean, that's fans,
1: isn't, isn't it? As soon as you yeah, actually, yeah, get actually get real live job. fans. It, it's <laughs> absolutely amazing. Um, and, you know, to have. Like, I, I got a message from the, the first guy who'd, who'd bought a game in Germany the other day Um, and I'd featured him in in the pledge video Um, and he'd not actually watched the pledge video he just pledged which I thought was firstly quite interesting and then sort of you know he was one of the first people on there first people to pledge and then only now as he got around to watch the pledge video and he sent me this video uh, sent me this message saying I can't believe you put me in the video it means a huge amount to me that you would do that thank you and I'm you know I get emailed the guy back and say come on you took a chance on a game nobody had ever heard of, and you bought it through our website. Thank you, man. You know, you took a photo of yourself and sent it to us. Like that is incredible. Like I'm, you know, I'm a passionate person and I love games. Uh, yeah, there's lots of individual games I like, but I'd never think to write to the person who's designed the game that I like to say thank you to him. But people have done that for me, and I don't know. I find that absolutely mind blowing, and, and yeah, I can't no, nice, say yeah. thank you enough. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's like it's the, the random, random question to ask my
2: co-hosts. Uh, How did you hear
3: about Lords of War? Oh, me. I heard, I heard about it on a mailing list, list. Um, that Angus, Angus Abramson sends out every week of all the new releases, and just it was on there under oh, card games, game. I think, or hmm. war games. <laughs> could probably find <laughs> both. Yeah. (laughs) It sounded really interesting, and it's something that um, I've been kind of thinking about for a while as well. Like, I've got a lot of card games in the back burner, card games that I'm working on, and I've always liked the idea of uh, a card game that is the war game. Yeah. Yeah, And I thought Lords of War is thought, So I thought, oh, I wonder how they've tackled it, and it's really good. (laughs) Oh, thanks, man.
1: I really appreciate that. It's it's lovely to hear from people who've designed their own games as well, you know, and and when we were doing our market research before we launched Lords of War, we went to loads of conventions and just sat down and talked to loads of people that we'd obviously never met before, just said, so, this is the idea for the game, and so on and so on, and before long, they'd be like, yeah, yeah, I've come up with a system that, that does this and that and the other, I remember one of the longest conversations I ever had with the, was with a guy who designed a system for underwater harpoon combat <laughs> that involved tidal currents pulling harpoons off target. And I was just like, what? That's a level of creativity that I do not have, my friend. <laughs>
2: but there you're saying there's another point something that's so simple to do so easy, well not easy to do but everyone can do it is actually just go and talk to some folk and get some ideas but so many people go and they'll sit in their, their bedroom and design games And I know Joe's talked to people a lot he goes to lots of conferences too but many, probably many aspiring games designers just never actually think to get out there and just chat to folk
1: Yeah, yeah and I think when you've got a partner in crime so the fact that Nick and I were doing it together that enormously helped because we were egging each other on, you know. Like, we, we play a lot of kind of mini-games, like mini-competitions, so when it came to doing market research at the big cons that we went to, or the gaming nights that we went to with gaming clubs and stuff, we'd be like tallying up how many people we would managed to fill out the survey form. <laughs> we'd be, you know, mm. trying to find out, like, who'd spoken to the oldest gamer, who'd spoken to the youngest gamer. Like, everything boils down to some kind of stupid mechanic with the two of us, but we, it was really incredibly valuable to speak to loads of people we didn't know and to play the game with them because those are the people who are going to be the most brutal with you. Um, also there's a kind of healthy competition often with games designers where you kind of, almost it's almost like you, you don't want someone's design to be any better than something you've designed. <laughs> and so it's really good talking to people who you know they've got their own games and they've designed their own thing and, and they will cut straight to their point um, and likewise it's really nice meeting people who design games who come and play your game and go I really like your game well done like that is like r- the respect of your peers it's <laughs> awesome as well so um, but yeah the market research thing you know it costs money and it costs time but they are tiny tiny investments that will like reap absolute dividends for you when you're trying to communicate your ideas to a broader market.
0: Okay, um, well why don't we talk a bit more about the Kickstarter itself then. Um, it's going great guns now, uh, looks um, certainly needs needs of support but I think looks like
1: you'll get there, right? I hope so, I hope so, I mean for for me, I'm still really unsure as to whether it will. It's because it's quite a lot of people get in touch and go, yeah, man, don't worry. Like my friends and what have you, don't worry, it's looking great. And I'm just sat there thinking, no, no, it's not looking great. Everyone I know has been harassed into trying to put money in.
3: They
1: mostly have because they're nice, but look, we've got a big gap to fill. Um, so, um, but
3: I'm going gonna,
0: I'm gonna to start talking about stretch goals, I mean, okay. <laughs> assuming assuming you're getting through that. I mean, already you've put up uh, a new thing, which is the, uh, the new gaming mat, which looks very nice.
1: Yeah, that was a response to what people were telling us. Um, I mean, we've had a couple of retailers that are stocking the game currently tell us that they want playmats, they want more permanent playmats. And In my mind, I'm thinking this is a failure of you as a games designer, Martin, because you made this game to not have a playmat, but everybody seems to want playmats. So, fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, and there was no way that we would have been able to just kind of speculatively create a bunch of playmats because they're not easy things to ship. Like, you know, because we're an independent company, you know, we literally go to the post office to buy stamps and jiffy and bags to put our stock into envelopes to send it to Canada or wherever else we're sending it when people order through the website and when you start thinking about sending big packages and stuff like that it just becomes so expensive that dang man you can't do it. Um, so but when it came to the Kickstarter because we're already involving shipping costs in all the calculations that we've done and people were so keen for a playmat we were like right okay fine, let's do this, let's let source quotes for the playmat, let's artwork something up, let's get it ready. And we've been absolutely blown away by the response that we got to. It only went up the other day, and it prompted about 50 people to up their pledge just so that they could have the playmat, which <laughs> great.
2: Yeah, people just like
1: stuff, pretty stuff in particular. Yeah, <laughs> that's an interesting <laughs> thing, isn't it? <laughs> like, when I go game shopping now, Um, I look at boxes, I kind of turn them over and go, whoa, like 500 component pieces? (laughs) I won't buy this game. It is too complicated for me. I will lose these pieces. And trying to figure it all out, it's not going to be possibly ever worth it. So I often put games like that down, and I'm looking for like a simpler, kind of more pure idea. Uh, But I am a sucker for meeples and cool components and stuff like that. It's just... For me, I'm thinking as a like, games designer, as a publisher, what have you, um, I want to supply people with as much value for money as I possibly can to try and keep the cost down as much as I can to give them as much gameplay and possibility in kind of the smallest package. Um, and we've met with like our US distributor now is is a company called Warpath Games and um, our rep at Warpath Games is saying no 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 you need to bring out this special card and that special card and if you can start doing booster packs and this that and the other and I'm like no 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 you've misunderstood everything is in the box and he's like are you not trying to make money? <laughs> uh, I don't know I'm trying to make good games it's slightly confusing. <laughs> <laughs> that's who
2: makes the best games isn't it? The people that are just absolutely passionate about it they're not so worried about the money but, yeah,
1: I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's quite interesting when you, when you think about, I don't know, think about something like Eclipse as a game. Like, I, I, I enjoy Eclipse. I've, I've played a bunch of Eclipse. I think it's cool. I think there is a needless amount of stuff that you get in Eclipse Sorry. when you buy I'm not it. Familiar with Eclipse? Um, okay. Um, so it's, it's a space battling game. Everyone's got a little empire. It's, it's played a, a bit like I don't know what, what a good analogy uh, is for it because it is such a complicated game but effectively you start in a, in a hex in space you've got this tiny empire it's one hex you're getting certain resources from planets in your little solar system and you every turn can choose to take a series of actions including exploring another section of space so you'll lay down another hex and it will right. have a series of planets on you can choose whether to occupy those planets and, and like lay down dropships and then take resources from that area of space or well, sometimes there'll be like aliens in there that you want to avoid or ideally kill because you get extra stuff from it and so on. Oh, really cool. So it's, like, it's like, like a civilization like... in space. Yeah, kind of. It's like Civ in space, ever so slightly, loads of different routes to victory and there's lots of cool stuff about it, but it is so complicated when you think, I've got all this stuff, most of which I'm not really going to use. I think I could probably just use one block for that where he's used like 10 different blocks. Yeah, there's loads of different like mechanics and ideas in it. You know, It looks pretty cool when you set it up, but it's also one of those games where you just think, if someone knocks this table right now, I'm going to punch them in the face, because <laughs> everything's perfectly organized, um, and it's inevitably not- someone yeah. does knock the table, and he's
3: just gonna forget about it, stupid. Yeah, it's like a friend of ours who tried to play Civilization, the board game, in yep. the Lismore pub in uh, Glasgow. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's not a good idea. Not,
3: not a great idea. idea.
1: No. Yeah. We tried Especially to play Saturdays. Small World yeah. in a
2: pub, and that ended in tears as well, thanks to a yeah. pint of copper
1: How cool are gaming cafes? Man, those places yeah. are awesome.
2: Yeah. Definitely.
1: <laughs> uh, I, it's just so nice. Like uh, I don't like the Loading Bar in London. Rachel, my sister, who helps out with the company, like she's run a couple of events down there, and and Loading is mostly a uh, video gaming bar, but. Uh, they do, like, a tabletop Tuesdays night where everybody comes in and plays different games and so on and so forth. Um, and uh, and she's just said she's never felt as welcomed or, like, you can be a total stranger and walk in and just make friends and play games together. Um, that's a pretty special opportunity, I reckon. Um, uh, I think they're I breeding think these good ever... communities. Sorry, I, I, don't, Sorry, think I, I don't think, I don't I've, think ever... I've ever...
0: No, I've never been to one, but there's the Games Hub in Edinburgh, which that sort of idea. And I've heard yes. good things about that. So, And Plush has, uh, lets, uh, who runs it, lets me run, lets me put up ads for the uh, podcast up on his, the Central sure. Pickup Gamers, so good for him. <laughs> yeah, I
1: think that, uh, that if you look in the games library in the Games Hub in Edinburgh, that we are in there now, which nice. is cool. Um, we were temporarily not in the loading bar one, because we, Lords of War, have the dubious honour of being the first game stolen from loading bar. which I kind of wear with a badge of pride. Oh, definitely. Um,
0: definitely. <laughs> where Teddy Pratchett has always been quite proud that his are, his are the most stolen books from bookshops.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Quick, uh, mm-hmm. quick final question about the Kickstarter, you've got um, some, uh, some higher level players, but where's the two grand, spend a full day with me and my family, and uh, you know, have dinner with us? And- <laughs>
1: um, well, you see, I'm, s- yeah, I mean, there, there is a cheaper option in there, which I'm incredibly happy that, like, I think three people have taken me up on it, which is, I think, £250, and I come and play the game for, for a whole day, like nine to five, playing Lords of War. Um, three humans have actually decided <laughs> that they want to spend a day with me within the UK. There's a lady in Wales that I'm going to go and see. Cool, man. Best. Let's do that. I'm going to Cardiff to play Lords of War next year. I didn't. Um, spend,
2: I, I was looking at the high level, like the 500 pound one and stuff like that, and I was um, no, I'm cheaper
1: than that. But I didn't. <laughs> yeah, that's. that's my yeah. No, I
2: thought, I thought you'd be thought top you'd be level.
1: level. No, no, you, like I don't know if you remember at the beginning of Ghostbusters two. Um, the guys, because there's no ghosts around in New York, they've become children's entertainers Um, (laughs) out of desperation. And they're singing the song. Yeah, exactly. That's pretty much where I'm at right now. I will do most things to try and get Lords of War Templars versus Undead off the ground. I'm so, so, so keen to see this game come out. Um, (laughs) Because, I don't know, man, you know, I've been working on it for... Over three years, you know, and finally, now after all this time, we're starting to connect with people and, you know, doing things like this. Which, if you, you know, if someone had said to me six months ago, not only will some guys review Lords of War on their podcast, but they'll also invite you on to hang out, um, I would have told whoever was telling me that to uh, go away, but I wouldn't have been that polite. I just wouldn't have believed it. So. It's it's incredible having you know people respond in, in positive ways and having reviews crop up here there and everywhere. I was dubbed into German the other day. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you saw that on the Lords of War Facebook page. I put up a link to it. Um, a German website in Essen called Clickenout uh, came and interviewed me about Lords of War. They put up the video the other day and they've dubbed me into German. <laughs> das ist gut. Yeah, well, yeah, but, I mean, can you imagine being dubbed? It it
3: feels slightly violated.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Does
0: does it make you sound like you're in soft porn on RTL in the 90s?
1: Yes, yes it does. (laughs) I played it to a colleague of mine in the office today, and she was wetting herself, and she was just saying, it sounds like you're in porn. Oh, cheers. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, So, no, I mean it's a weird and wonderful experiences that the Lords of War has, has led to and, you know, I go back to it, like I'm just so appreciative that people are putting themselves out there and taking a chance on us because, you know, we aren't readily available outside of the UK, like we, we've now got distribution sorted in Scandinavia and we're hopefully doing a deal in Germany, we're currently trying to do a deal in France. Um, South Africa, Israel, the Philippines—like all of these countries—are about to come online. But like we always said to ourselves, for the first year of Lords of War, let's just focus on the UK. Let's not try and do anything else. Let's like get ourselves reasonably well known and embedded in our home territory, and make sure that you know we're in Ireland and Scotland and Wales and England. Make sure we're everywhere, and that we've tried to communicate ourselves as best as we can to build like a home. Support structure, and then go overseas in the second year. And you know, we're we're like 11 months into Lords of War now. The only reason that we've had the opportunity to go overseas in this way is because I recorded another podcast with uh, Michael Fox on the Little Metal Dog Show, um, and and uh, another dude heard me on that, who was a Polish distributor, who invited me and Nick and, you know, uh, Nyan, my wife, and Rachel, my sister, to come and take up, like, a a gaming table on the side of their booth in Essen. (laughs) So that's what we did. And that allowed me to meet with all of these different distributors from around the world and shake their hands and give them copies of the game. And basically, once we've got your phone number, we will never leave you alone. So there are some distributors (laughs) that I would like to warn right now. Hobby World in Russia, you have not heard The Last of Us.
0: (laughs)
2: Uh,
1: yeah, yeah that's, that's what happens happen. nice to people though <laughs> well hopefully yeah you'd hope so although Hobby World as an example I don't know if you're familiar with Hobby World as a company they're huge
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, but they took me into like a, a little room shut the door behind me um, and I had a meeting with a guy who literally had a scar down his face like, over one eye <laughs> Um, his English wasn't fantastic, um, and he told me, in this kind of thick Russian accent, um, if we take your game, we will not import your game. We will buy license and sell for whole price, which is lower than the rest of Europe, and undercut you. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> don't tell me that! Surely that's like a like supervillain plan that you try and do... And then it's just like, oh, no, the Russians are undercutting us. No,
0: the really scary crazy thing about is. it. Like, the really scary <laughs> thing is he'll only tell you his <laughs> plan if he thinks you're going to die.
1: Yeah, that's it. I was like sat there thinking, that's it, man. I'm done for. Like I'm going to die here. Like, uh, this is day two of Essen. I've got two more days to go. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Hobby World in Russia. We're still trying to crack the Russian market. Yeah. As that guy reminded me, they're not a member of the WTO. So it's quite <laughs> difficult to import products. Jesus. <laughs> oh, that's scary. Didn't think I'd be having that meeting either. No. Yeah.
0: no. So what <laughs> Um What
1: about what you're about, not
0: gonna English. surely not go, going to stop with uh uh with undead and uh and, and pa- I've forgotten. Templars. What's the name Templars. you can start again? Templars.
3: Templars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah you know, and that harpoon and Water Combat. <laughs> yeah I know right, Let's
1: do the Harpoon game with the title Harpoon Shocks Man, variations on different dice sizes as well, need more of that. Um, no well yeah it's, it's an interesting one, what do we do next? Because we've kind of got a big decision to make Nick and I uh, in the next six months as to how big we think the company's going to be and how big a risk we want to take because you know we have spent our life savings on Lords of War. And um, we're now having to reprint, which is expensive. And uh, so all our capital is basically locked up in stock, which looks like we're going to be selling. And that's cool. It's really exciting. But then we've got to kinda of decide, right, we'll pay back so Should we pay back our debts or shall we just roll that money into another project? Should we do more Lords of War? Or should we do something new? Shall we look at those crazy complicated board games that we've got in the gaming chest? Or should we do something a bit more abstract? And you know, as we travel around and meet with different companies and go to different cons, like our minds change almost constantly about what we're gonna do. because um, we've got some like really clearly sort of they fit into a genre type game so we've got a super funky game about um, like a nuclear power station that's in Meltdown mm-hmm. and uh, you're all playing people in the power station trying to stop the thing exploding and killing lots of people, um, that's a really fun I- idea, it fits it very clearly into a genre that's already out there and like, you've got games like Power Grid and stuff like that that's there. Um, then we've got like a, a, a Another really beautiful card game, which is like a combo chaining game, it simulates like a a Kung Fu match, so as you play cards, you have to link moves to other moves um, to hopefully knock out your opponent, and they've got cards that can be used to attack or block, so it's this kind of risk-reward system. If you play out all of your attacks and your opponent blocks them all, you're then going to be completely vulnerable to whatever they throw in your direction sort of thing, so that's really fun, but is that going to have mass appeal? Um, And then there's like the completely abstract game, so I've got this concept called 40 Winks, which is set in a dream, and the idea is that all of the players around the table are having a collective dream together. Um, and you have a dream diary, which functions uh, slightly the same way as, like, choose your own fiction or something like that. You've got a series of different scenarios, and you lay down cards which represent, like, paths through your dream where you can hopefully collect 40 winks and have a good night's sleep, Um, but you might not be able to if you don't work together as a team, and if you fail on things, then, you know, one of the team might wake up and then they're spending a certain amount of time trying to get back to sleep. It's a really funky idea, but is it too abstract
3: to connect with people? I was thinking Inception or Matrix come up when you think about that.
1: You know, yeah, well, asking, god, asking. I mean, I could debate the Matrix with you for an extremely long period of time. Um, <laughs> I, I. only I the Matrix movie, by the way. Yes, exactly. Thank you. I have a writing partner that, unfortunately, I don't really write with anymore. Um, he's, he got a bit sidelined when the games company uh, took off. but. Um we used to write scripts together and we actually plotted out our two matrix sequels. So they, they they started where the matrix finished and they're just so much better. Just so much better than I can what believe Jazz used did, um, or didn't do if you have the benefit of selective memory. Uh, yeah. and then with Lords of War, you know, we've got so much stuff to that we'd like to do with Lords of War. Um, you know, lots of expansions and variations, and we'd really like to do a license. You know, I think it would be really fun if we could get, um, you know, Doctor Who or Transformers or something like that on the cards. But you know, certain big companies yeah. own those licenses, and they don't like to share them with small upstart companies like us who do annoying things like call up all of the retailers in the country and sell their game that way rather than. <laughs> Working through the big distributor that they consider to be like their primary partner. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. so we'll see how that goes over the next few months.
2: <laughs> I just uh, it's funny. It must be a bit of pressure around. Like if you if this Kickstarter um, goes really well, you get tons of fans out of it. You get like, it sells really well. But then they obviously want more Lords of War because that's the game they like, the game they yeah. got into. Whereas you want to obviously experiment with other ideas, like try some new creative stuff, but. How do yeah. you? see by The fan, uh, the fan demand for the well, Again? for me,
1: I I would quite happily just keep making Lords of War games. Mm-hmm. I would very happily just keep making them. And and you know, we have like the sequel packs to Orcs versus Dwarves, Elves versus Lizardmen, and Templars versus Undead ready to go. So mm-hmm. they've got their monstrous creatures in, and they've got their flying creatures in, and they've got their spell casting units and they're all still balanced and they've all still got loads of variety and and you know I would love so badly to get those double decks out there into the world <laughs> but at the same time you know like we have two two kind of schools of thought one is don't flood the market to such a degree that the novelty of your game disappears you don't want people to feel like they have to spend lots of money on your game You know. I know a lot of people who have been badly burned by like CCGs and LCGs, where they're spending hundreds, if not thousands, of pounds on a yearly basis, investing in Magic and Yu-Gi-Oh and Pokemon and all these other games. And you know that's putting aside like the uh, Fantasy Flight franchise games as well. They're constantly on this like release loop. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't ever want to be associated with that crowd of people who's trying to exploit you for your cash. But at the same time, if somebody does want more Lords of War, if people do want more, and they, and they, there is demand for the sequel packs or something new. I mean, I'm really keen to do a historical battles. Napoleon versus Wellington is something that I'd really, really like to see, particularly because the idea of Lords of War. You know, one of the other like founding principles was we wanted you to be able to play Napoleon versus the orcs. I know I want to play like, that game. Right. <laughs> Not only that, but how about if you could like take Napoleon, make him your general, but then like maybe have Hot Rod in there from Transformers and Amy Pond <laughs> just because you want to see her die, and then you know a series of other different Dora the Explorer could be in there. You know, it's it's got, like, a massive variety of different decks to choose from. Um, You know, if you have a few Daleks and then some Dwarves and what have you, and you can smash these armies against each other, you can mix them up, or you can play them, like, pure and uncut um, and just play Napoleon and, and, you know, how would he do with his style of fighting and his type of of, uh, strategy against something like the Lizardmen? That would be fun to see. So yeah, I'm quite tempted by that. But you know, with historical battles, is there enough of a kind of family demand for that sort of thing? You know, likewise, I'd love to do like a Nazis versus Allies deck because Nazi uniforms are really, really cool, <laughs> and I would like to see you know some uh, some orcs and, and Nazis team yeah. up together and go to war. So I would also really like to do that. Um, you know, But for the moment, you know, what Nick and I are saying is, we think as far as December the 14th, when we wake up in the morning and we find out if the Kickstarter has been successful. Because if the Kickstarter has been successful, that makes a huge number of things potentially possible. Mm-hmm. It means that we could theoretically go and try and find ourselves an investor, for example, who might be able to activate the new Lords of War packs and, and, and allow us to do those. Um, but if we don't get a sense that there's the demand out there for the game, then we have to think another way and and kind of think how are we going to diversify, do something different. So, I mean, it is, like, it's fundamentally important to Nick and I that this Kickstarter is successful, and we've kind of left no possibility in our own minds for it it to not be. Like, we've thrown everything we possibly can at it, and if it's not successful, well, I just can't think about it not being successful. It has to be successful, (laughs) because... Otherwise, oh, God, no, I don't want to let that thought into my brain. (laughs) (laughs) In terms of stretch goals, though, you asked earlier, um, we have a few fun things planned for the stretch goals, one of which is a terrain and weather pack that we've had built for ages, which adds, like, a whole bunch of gameplay modifiers to the game. Um, So you can lay mountains down or rivers down before you start playing the game. And that changes the scenario and where your cards function and what they can do. It also introduces like a capture the flag mod and a king of the hill mod to the game. And then weather cards that also alter how cards behave. So perhaps they'll have minus modifiers on their attacks or on their shield values or additional shield defense. Maybe their arrows or ranged weapons or fire further. We've got that ready to go. And, and if we manage to get into stretch goal territory, then that's kind of the big one that we would really, really like to get out there. Because if you're playing Wellington versus Napoleon, the terrain and weather deck will still work for you. If you own just the fantasy battles, it will still work for you. Even if you just own one of them, it will still work for you. So it's just more options as to how the game can become this kind of richer, experience kind of introduces a pre-game to it where it's not just a deck building pre-game but also the you know battle laying where you guys can kind of make a decision about where are you fighting how is it going to look is one of you in a castle or on a hill or what have you and that kind of stuff so that's a big one that i'm super super keen to uh, to get out there um, but there's other smaller stuff uh, it's quite hard though don't know if you've ever sat down and tried thinking about how you would structure a kickstarter campaign not at all, oh, but yeah, uh, it must be uh, difficult, yeah. Uh, sorry, go on, I
3: No, that's, that's where I'm at now, trying to think about starting my first Kickstarter campaign.
1: Yeah. Which
3: mentioned on the last show for uh, for Pro Wrestling Battle Royale. Yeah, sure. The second edition of that, of my wrestling mm. uh, card game, which has uh, some mechanics that sound not too dissimilar to the martial arts. <laughs> <thing>. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: noticed that, yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it sounds like you've kind of got everything to go before you're doing the Kickstarter. Because I see some Kickstarters where they kind of uh, give you a projected time when, I'm thinking the game,
1: role-playing games or whatever will be finished, but they don't have everything quite in place. Yeah, I find it incredible that people will put their faith in in projects like that. I, it's amazing that people can get that support. Um, I I can't imagine asking for it myself. <laughs> You know, I yeah, can't yeah. imagine going out there and thinking, "Yeah, I've got this idea. It's kind of a bit loose, but if you give me loads of money, then I'll <laughs> fix it up for you." So no worries. But
3: you've already paid out for all your artwork, company I for Undead and Templars. It's all there. It's all ready to, to go. Uh,
1: no, not all of it. Not oh all no, of no, no, no. We we've paid for a, a good chunk of it because, uh, but uh, but we can't afford it all. I mean, that's why we've come to Kickstarter. Like, if we could have just kept on self-publishing and kept on rolling that way, that that's what we would have done because. I feel a bit bad asking people to kind of pre-purchase the game if they can't actually put their hands on it and know that it's good. Um, you know, for me, I, if, if it could have been avoided, then I would have loved that. As it is, we've paid for as much of the artwork as we can afford, um, but because we've had to do these reprints of the other games, you know, a lot of our capital's kind of locked up in doing that, and shipping, god damn, shipping. Like, who knew shipping, shipping would be so expensive? Ah... <laughs> oh. And what yeah, happens if, be, like, yeah. uh, a distributor in, say, this is a good example, like in um, South Africa, South African distributor says to us, "We want 40 copies of each." You've got to work out the postage on quite a small amount of stock, and actually trying to get your stock to South Africa is not is not cheap. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's weird stuff like that that we didn't uh, anticipate when we first embarked on the project. But anyway, we can kind of afford to keep. Walks vs. Dwarves and Elves vs. Lizardmen rolling, and we, we started the process of, of getting Templars and Undead artwork, and, and we've got, you know, a good proportion of it ready, um, but that's part of what we're looking for the money to do, is is to finish the artwork and uh, then pay for the printing costs and then pay for the shipping costs, and after that there'll be a depressingly small amount of money left, um, <laughs> which will be spent probably on marketing it and trying to communicate what what we're doing, but that's that's where how it how it sort of slices up, really. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, They've got a lot of artwork in the in the decks. You know, so many individual images that it must be uh, you know yeah. quite, quite, quite tricky, tricky to uh, finance that quite and make sure time. you're getting all the artwork in on time and stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it it took a lot lot longer and was a lot more expensive than we'd anticipated. Um, but it's really important for us that every card feels like a special piece of artwork, like you, you'll hopefully play a lot of Lords of War, hopefully, and when you're picking up the same cards hopefully you'll look at those pieces of artwork and see new things in them that you didn't notice before and that they will not get boring for you ever, um, that's the goal uh, maybe they will, I'm sure they'll get boring at some point for people but trying to put as much in there and make them as special and unique and characterful and humorous and all the rest of it, um, it's quite important. And so, yeah, it, the artworking for Lords of War is, like, a big a big expense. Um, but I think it's worth it. You know, I personally have, have been turned off too many games that I've sort of opened the box, take them out, played them, and gone, yeah, it's all right, but I don't particularly want to look at it anymore. Um, I don't know if you guys have played the Batman Arkham City game that came out a little while ago. I haven't played it, but I spotted it in the shop. Right, I, I, I freaking love Batman. Right, I'm a Batman comic book reader. I've been collecting Batman stuff for a really long time. Huge fan of the guy. Uh, me and him, we're close. Um, so yeah, my sister very kindly bought me Arkham City for my birthday. which was just awesome. You know, new Batman board game. One of you plays Batman. The other one plays the entire rogues gallery. What could be cooler <laughs> than that? Um, but actually, the game just doesn't look or feel... That's special enough. They've made a massive box. It's huge, and they've given you quite a lot of stuff to go in the box, but none of it feels like it was particularly crafted for a player to engage with. And yeah, it's purely functional. And I'd like I like things that are a bit stylish as well as functional that you want to kind of treasure and hold on to. And so that's why, <laughs> Lords of War. It's probably a little bit over-artworked, really, but. Hopefully, people appreciate that.
2: No, there's no I'm denying that that's that is a huge factor in the success of a game, I reckon. There's, no, there's a reason that Games Workshop you make so much money out of all their miniatures. I mean, it's because people love to look at them, and otherwise you'd just play a lot of proxies, wouldn't you? Little bits of paper.
1: Yeah, definitely. And also, you know, I mean, I, I haven't ever been a massive miniatures guy, like in terms of painting miniatures, mostly because I'm too impatient and just not skilled <laughs> enough. Um, my beautiful, lovely lady wife, she's got massively into it now and a bunch of my other uh, pals from, you know, from boarding school and stuff. Loads of people were into miniatures and, and painting and stuff. And it was also interesting how that is its own kind of game. It's its own competition, really, that you're playing with all your pals. Um, everyone is trying to do a new, funky, interesting thing with the way that they've gone about painting their particular you know, race of, of whatever it may be. And I just think all of that personalization and stuff makes those games so special. Um yeah, your deck or oh, not your deck, your your army becomes entirely yours because you have made it entirely how you want it to be.
2: Yeah, I gave that, I gave gave that
1: game I up a long time ago.
2: My just my my painting skills are uh, not
1: exactly. I can draw quite well but for some reason That's I can't paint, paint for
2: paint. anything.
1: <laughs> That's my biggest problem with miniatures. <laughs> I've tried it, but I just every time I'm like, what's in my head looks really awesome. Yeah. What I'm holding looks like there's been a horrible accident.
2: Yeah, Grant actually. <laughs> Grant has painted a significant portion of my army actually, so that's uh.
1: <laughs> that is that's love right there. Yeah, um, I for my kind of big role-playing D and D variant thing that's been going for a long time. Um, everybody brings their own miniatures that they've painted, and so as we introduce or kill off characters over time, you see new miniatures arriving. And my good friend Aidan. Um, is incredibly gifted when it comes to painting his miniatures, and he just puts everyone else to shame. I feel quite bad for everybody else now, because he just brings up and goes, yeah, yeah, no, I did this, 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 and this, and oh, do you like the way I did that? Everyone else is sat there <laughs> looking at their kind of stodgy globules of paint and going, yeah,
2: oh my well, I don't, I don't know, I reckon we could talk about this for hours, but
1: <laughs> nearly, uh, nearly two hours now, so we probably don't yeah. want to much longer. It has been my absolute pleasure, guys. Uh, anytime, anytime, I'm more than happy. Just get in touch and let me know. Um, but yeah, it's been really enjoyable. And hopefully, from my ramblings, you can salvage something that's listenable.
2: No, I think that would be brilliant. Would uh, you want to tell us the, um, what do we need to know from you? Where, where can we find your uh, site? How do we contact you? and uh, just give us a last kickstarter promo before you go
1: Okay, so easiest ways to get in touch with us directly is through Facebook. If you're on Facebook, brilliant. Just uh, search for Lords of War on Facebook, you'll find us. Um, There's loads of artwork and information about the game on there and links through to the website. Again, it's probably easier if you Google us, Lords of War, probably. You mentioned this in your last podcast, but lords-of-war.com is our website, and there's loads of stuff on there. And that will link you through to the Kickstarter, um, which is running for, I believe, at this moment, another 16 or 15 days. Finishes it on the morning of the 14th of December. So there's a good couple of weeks left. Uh, So any support that you we can get, we'd hugely, hugely appreciate. Um, And hopefully you'll like the sort of fun tidbits that are there in terms of storyline and character artwork and everything else. And if you've got questions and and thoughts, then uh, don't hesitate to get in touch, because I always want to hear what people have to say. So yeah, that's that.
0: I think Uh, I'll add to that. I can also highly recommend your um, articles on Beasts of War uh, that you've been doing. Uh, I find those hugely informative cheers! Oh, uh, covering a lot of, of, of the like I said, last, last um, episodes the uh, Trials and Tribulations of getting your game started and getting published. Anything more to add guys?
2: No, I'd just say thanks again Martin, it's been great fun, we're really interested in hearing about your uh, project. Haven't?
1: Oh, it's been such a pleasure, yeah, and uh, keep an eye on the Beasts of War articles, soon you'll have the odyssey of what happened to the Lords of War app Yes, because <laughs> we spent just over a year developing an app and then a quite large Nottingham-based uh, gaming company um, started sending us letters. So oh. yeah, fun <laughs> stuff.
0: Oh, and we'll be grants rant about that in the next in the next <laughs> <laughs> episodes. <laughs> 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 the semi-regular feature on our on our podcast where Grant goes off at Games Workshop yeah. or or, uh, or another Nottingham-based <laughs> <laughs> game. Absolutely. It could
1: be. A, it could no. be. But Mantic games are based in Nottingham, plugging yeah. Mantic there. Yeah. Um, friends of ours. <laughs> it, it's not Mantic. Just...
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: right. Okay, I think we can read the lines there. Um, guys, uh, it's been great. Martin, thanks so much for joining us. It's been a blast. That's all for tonight, folks. Uh, Thanks again to Martin Vox for coming on, speaking to us about uh, Lords of War and all things gaming. As things stand on the Kickstarter, we're up to just about three quarters of the way there. Uh, So definitely check that out, as we said. Uh, If you'd like to get in touch with us on the podcast, you can get in touch with me. I am at Grant Sensei on Twitter. Joe is at Prince, and Colin is at GamerColin. You can uh, email us all on podcast at DicingWithDesign.com and on our Google Plus page, just search for Dicing with Design on Google Plus. You could also leave a message on our episode thread on DicingWithDesign.com. Till next time guys, enjoy your games.